now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even. Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. Your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year, band of 12 plus 6 here. Carson that was top rookie, I'm seeing it now. Ain't playing around with Tatum and Hay with a brown. We off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up to date. You heard? Hey, Jay, I I see you, man. She. Welcome to Anything is Potable, the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I'm joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Jay King, Celtics beat reporter for The Athletic. And today, we have a very special guest, a, the radio voice of the Boston Celtics, Sean Grandy. Uh, we started talking to him and he just got right into it. And Jay, being the steely-eyed missile man that he is, just press record. Uh, so there's not going to be a fancy intro. We just got right into the conversation. Steely-eyed missile man. We talked about a lot of fun stuff. Grandy is always entertaining. Obviously, he has context for a lot of Celtics history. We went back, looked compared the Kyrie era to the field now, discussed Satan's rise, Jalen doing Jalen things. Kemba Walker's importance to this team, Brad Stevens' ego. Yeah, we, we got went, into it all. We, Brad, uh, Grandy is quite verbose and he was much more talented than both of us, so we just kind of took a step back and I, let him drive. I disagree. Grandy. I am far more talented than Grandy, and I hope he hears this part of the podcast. No, that's fantastic. Well, so let's get into it. I think we started about talking about just the the trouble of uh, calling games uh, down in the bubble. So here's our conversation with Sean Grandy. The end of the game last night was really strange because you're waiting for a timeout. You can't tell if there was a whistle. You're not. You don't. The things you normally hear. Did they blow a whistle or they didn't? Because you can't hear the whistle. It's kind of bizarre. That was one of the parts that stood out to me when I was watching you. Is that you had to like basically read the mind of the referee because normally you can hear the whistle you know what's going on you're looking for calls you don't have the same angle it's a subtle thing but offensive block charge the way they're signaling it there's a certain way you're looking at it live versus you're trying to catch on the monitor for was because a lot of those are 50 50 calls you don't know which way it's going so you're you know how many calls have you fucked up you know, remarkably few, but that's just a credit to my gift. I, mean, <laughs> I can't. It's funny. I've been listening to some of the other guys. You know, the biggest thing is energy. That's the biggest because I remember watching in April and May watching like UFC when they started and WWE. And the first thing you notice is like it's hard to find energy. If you notice the guys in the arena, the national TV guys, particularly some of the guys that aren't necessarily NBA guys who aren't doing games regularly, they're struggling without the, you have to invent it and then count on the people mixing the sound behind you to make it sound right. But you've got to, I said to somebody that it's almost actually like acting. It's like performing at some level. You have to just pretend 
there's a full crowd and whatever and do it the way you do it and hope it sounds you're gonna win your first best actor this year i uh here's something you, of the many extraordinary things obviously you miss so much in writing the story about me in the first place <laughs> i was eligible to be nominated i saved the sheet so, uh, eligible to be nominated for an Academy Award. They send out a sheet to the Academy Ooh. that lists all the people that technically I had a speaking role in a film. And even though it was one line, two lines, whatever it was, technically you are eligible for. So in 2001, the best supporting actor, actress category, I printed it. I, I haven't seen it in 20 years, but it says Kelsey Grammer, Sean Grandy, Heather Graham, you know, in the alphabetical list of (laughs) who'd you lose to that year? It's not, it's not like, I don't remember stuff like that. Ben Kingsley, that jerk, (laughs) but I'm over it. I feel like I don't want to sully Gorman's name, but it's gotta be super hard to like, I guess you talk about that. You know, you're going to sully Gorman's name after you start like that. Oh, when Marcus Smart made this steal and pass to Jalen in the Philadelphia 76ers series, he it felt like he missed the moment of Jalen like knocking down the and one just because he was kind of confused about what's going on. It's like, can you how do you kind of get yourself up? Uh, you talk about kind of performing, but also doing that from a distance, which is if you're not capturing all that information, you're acting on the wrong cues there. I think you have to just lock yourself into the game more than you. It just it takes a different level of concentration. You have to again, you're pretending that everything is normal, right? You have to pretend for two and a half hours that everything is the way it normally is. Again, maybe I have what is an extraordinary, overwhelming disadvantage 41 nights of the year calling the game off a monitor for the most part at the garden because of the angle maybe benefits me here and that I'm more used to it. But I really, I don't think it's that. I, I think it's the background noise that you count on and the things you can see um, I haven't heard. I, I don't normally I hear the mic stuff. I tend to when we're on national TV, if I watch the game again, if I've got time to watch the game again or whatever, I tend to watch the national broadcast to see what they're saying. Whereas I'm watching a lot of Mike and Scal and Mike and Tommy during the year. But I didn't really hear, you know, I, I text with him a lot and, you know, about how tough it is or whatever and how Tommy's doing stuff like that. But we I haven't I didn't get to hear much of. Mike, I would think it would be a little easier having done that. I did FIBA games years ago with Fran Fischella, um, in We were in uh, Rio de Janeiro, which looks suspiciously like a studio in central Connecticut uh, <laughs> when I was doing it. And that was doing you know, But a TV call is different because it, radio, you're just more on the edge of your skis because one little thing goes wrong with the transmission of the director's cut is wrong and you can't see. You're already out there. Whereas TV, you get to obviously lay back um let let the stuff happen but it's not an easy thing to do to find the rhythm i think the radio guys around the league and i've been listening quite a bit have done a good job compared to you know the national tv guys who are actually in the bubble because in some ways that seems like it'd be harder but do you listen to guys as like to study to study them or are you just listening because they're your friends i they're i think always a little bit of both you're always listen if you're not What's that to say? If you're not learning, you're not whatever. There's always maybe somebody uses an expression I've never heard before or something evolves. Um, and you want to if you want to be, you know, we, we joke about this all the time because I, I, I will morph into my bit. You know, I'll, I'll do that heel turn thing I do where I talk about how great I am and this and that. And the only other thing is people enjoy it when I when I go full heel. But, well, but, Jay has completely plus, you do like, plus you do like to talk about how great you are. 
Well, I well that's the Let's point. Let's not pretend that's, that's like this is brilliant, brilliant, right? If you're a heel in wrestling, what you do is you take a, a morsel of truth and just turn the dial way up to where it becomes absurdity. And I'll do a whole bit about, you know, when's my, my Hall of Fame induction? Are you coming? Where do you want to sit? All that because people, they find it funny. But if you want to be great at what you do, you are constantly watching what other people are doing and not because you're not in the way of, oh, I'm better than this guy or this guy. I want to do with this. You're saying, oh, that's an interesting way to do it. Let me think if you can incorporate that or not, or it makes sense or it doesn't make sense. This has constantly changed. If you do this job for 20 years, like I've been doing it, uh, I would hope I'm not doing it the exact same way I was doing it 20 years ago, because then you're just saying all doors that are open to me are now closed. And I'm just going to always do what I do. Take so social media, for example, take the, I mean, that's the, maybe the best example of evolve or die because it first came along in, I remember vividly, maybe we've had this conversation, maybe we haven't. I, I remember vividly being in the NBA broadcast meetings. This has got to be at least 10 years ago, maybe 12. And the question came up, what percentage of the audience has some sort of device open or while the game is on? And I thought it would be a pretty high number, but the number was like in the 80s. And that was 12 years ago. So that to me immediately signaled that the entire game has changed. And that's why... A lot of the Twitter stuff I do, I realize it's just a supplement and you guys know it you know, better than I do that the reality of my situation, what Max and I do and where we are and the effort people have to make to listen to the games and to make it match up. Um, that's another thing I do in listening to the radio guys. It's not as hard as I thought is matching up the, you know, the video with the audio, but it takes effort to do it. And the reality is with all that stuff, I realize oftentimes, especially with some of the ones that have gone crazy lately, I reach a lot more people on Twitter than I do calling the games. And it's funny. People will say to me now, well, like Randy, he's such a stat guy and he's got all those great stats. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm a play-by-play guy, but I realize <laughs> the stats get sometimes get start bouncing around. You're, you're on in there. it for the likes and retweets. It's uh, it's a, it's a scare to me. It's more of a scary world. Anything else? Living. In I the think you're addicted to the likes, likes and retweets. Let's be well, honest. Well, you had an interesting. You're a play-by-play play guy with an addiction to engagement. Yesterday, I, before, actually, well, I had I have gotten married twice, so that's the only <laughs> engagement we got. But yesterday before the game, you sent out that tweet about Brad's uh, comparing this up. year's team to last year's team, and in Twitter, it's difficult to kind of. Uh, kind of see what the context of the conversation was, but everyone read it uh, and put the eyeballs emojis on it as basically throwing Kyrie under the bus and saying last year, this team's didn't bring it. And so I guess, how do you balance those things? And what what was your reaction to the reaction to that tweet? I actually reacted to the reaction online, which I don't often do. And that's the thing I have to remember sometimes is that there's things that Max and I talk about at length there uh, a week and a half ago, a week ago, we did a special show when game one was supposed to happen. Max and I went in and did, 90 minutes on the reasons for the pause. And it was, that was kind of a scary time uh, for people that look like me. It's a scary time to speak because I, as you know, it's hard for me not to speak, but that's what I've done for four or five months. But I think I realized that the players kind of taught me that you can't live in fear of your job. You've got, it's just, a, just too important a time to speak your truth. But in any case, one of the things that the network guys tweeted out, the thing that I had said at the end, which it looked very nice when you clean it up and add punctuation to it, when you're just sort of rambling and speaking off the top of your mind, but that stuff goes out. And that was a minute and a half of a 90 minute show. So every, I've always felt the written word by definition is out of context. 
by definition it is. And I used to do a bit in my younger days, many, many, many years ago. I played a character on the radio on Glenn Ordway's show, and I would deliberately take things out of context because it was funny to do it. But it also made you realize how easy it is to do. And you just don't really know. I saw the takes. I saw that out of the corner of my eye, I saw the thing start to take off. And I did this face of, uh oh, uh, that's interesting. My take was, of course, I was interested in seeing if he would go there. And that was the point of the question was because we all know what really happened was in between game one and game two, there was that practice that Kyrie didn't really participate in and the, everything kind of went downhill from there. And I, again, I thought it was well within my uh, sphere and certainly more than fair to say, how does this feel Forgetting the bubble environment? Basically trying to comfort Celtics fans. Like, why is this different when the exact and it wasn't just being up one oh. You guys know it was identical. Four the games. Exact same round, path. Yeah. Sunday afternoon, a week off, Sunday afternoon again, a stunning blowout win in game one. So the circumstances were identical. And I was curious to see what he'd say. And my take on it was him doing what he's done all year, which is basically deflect last year and then just talk about this year's team. But because of the context of the question, I understood people interpreting it that way. I didn't. I thought he was just talking highly of this year's team. But obviously, in that context, if you chose to read into it, I certainly understand. And a lot of the replies that I read later after the game were like, yeah, you're probably right, but it's more fun to read it that, that way. So that's how we're going to. And I I get but, it. Uh, but know. even if he wasn't trying to throw last year's team under the bus, he was. Because that's well, how do you, not? Uh, you could argue yeah. they threw themselves under the bus. Right? Oh, they, they, <laughs> they, they didn't just throw themselves under the bus. They laid under the bus and waited for it to run over them and several times. Yeah. And ordered uh, the bus. Come back, please. It's It's been a funny dynamic this year because I think this this team has been like the perfect antidote to yeah. the Kyrie Celtics of 2018-19. But still, fans can't forget that. It's like every time Kemba makes a quote, Almost any time Kemba makes a quote, someone will quote tweet it, tweet at me like this is why he's so much better than Kyrie. It's like just forget about Kyrie, man. Kemba is a perfect fit. But at the same time, the context of it is from where the Celtics were last year. This is such a blatant, blatant improvement in every way. And it's a, a social media thing, right? It's more fun to hate last. It feels because of the people that speak this way on social media that they hated last year's team more than they like this year's team, which is just that's sort of the nature of Twitter. That's easier and that's a lot more fun. And Kyrie is Kyrie is a series of podcasts, right? That's a mini series <laughs> to examine that. It's just not as cut and dry as people want it to be. And I found from myself when he was here, people thought I was too hard on him when I would bring up some of this stuff because he would everyone was just so dramatically in love with him. And then when everything turned on February, and I believe to this day, I will always say last season turned on at the shoot around at Madison Square Garden on February 1st, when all of a sudden all that had been true before the illusion of it, he completely pulled, pulled the curtain on that. And from that moment on, everything went south. And I never really changed my view of Kyrie, but everyone around me went from, raising number 11 to the rafters as the next number to this is the, the biggest heel turn in the history of the Celtics. And I hate this guy so much. And I, so I went from the guy that was being too hard on him to the guy who was too easy on him. And I just think it's, it's really complicated. I think fueling that is the fact that 
Celtic fans haven't had their shot at him, and who knows when they're going to get it? Because as we're talking today, that first net Celtics game next year, the first couple are probably going to, you know, probably going to be in a bubble somewhere. So who knows if and when Kyrie is ever going to take the floor at TD Garden to get that, you know, that that Ray Allen spanking that Ray got and that others have gotten <laughs> to, you know, to sort of take your medicine and get it over with. Which I wish he had done it right. I mean, you wish he just played in that game, get it over with. You know he's going to say amazing things about the Celtics and the fans or whatever, and they'll ignore it and boo the living hell out of him anyway, and we'll all have our therapy and life will go on. But see, it's going to be years now. I think it's better that he didn't play because now when he comes back, it's going to be a marquee game with Kevin Durant versus Jason Tatum, yeah. Kyrie versus Kemba Walker, the Celtics coming off what could be a really deep playoff run playing a Nets team that's fully loaded. So – I think the drama of it will be much better because he sat out this year. If the games are played at the Garden, if, if, if there are, yeah, that that is a very we're big sitting here first week of September, and you know it was everybody's pipe dream, right? We were going to start on Christmas Day with some semblance of normalcy, and right now it looks like there's no way that's happening. And is it going to be a full bubble season? Is it going to be a, a double bubble season, right, where you play thirty games in a month off and? Again, we've got to trademark all this stuff now. Bubble, bubble, trouble. <laughs> it could happen. Thir- you know, 30-game bubble, month off, another 30-game bubble. Does the second half of the season, can you follow the baseball model and start traveling? Empty empty arenas, which is very expensive, by the way, to run an NBA game in a 20,000-seat uh, arena. And you now know, Jay, how empty that building looks when <laughs> – there are no fans in it. It's pretty. It's pretty crazy to to go down there and do these games. You know, will the second half of the season have a limited number of fans? We know literally nothing at at this point. So again, you're looking at a scenario where it's conceivable. It's not out of the, line, the realm of possibility that Kyrie Irving doesn't come back to Boston until the 21-22 season. I mean, it could be nearly three years uh, between the time him leaving and him actually playing a game there. Live sports are back. It's very possible that we may see an NBA playoff matchup between the Clippers and the Nuggets. That's why our partners at Manscaped have partnered with us to make sure your Nuggets are as safe as possible when that matchup happens. Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. I know Packard likes to keep his balls tight and clean. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool. For the modern man like him. Because of their their ceramic blade and skin safe technology, your snags will be reduced. The Perfect Package 3.0 comes with a new and improved lawnmower, waterproof, cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs, which are so damn comfortable, and a travel bag for you to use when we're done quarantining. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with the Crop Preserver, and Crop Reviver. The Crop Preserver is anti-chafing ball deodorant. Nobody likes it better than when you smell beautiful down there. The Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner. It's made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Again, that get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC20. Take your grooming game to the next level. It's so funny because I always get annoyed. Sorry, Sam. I always get annoyed with myself when I start talking about Kyrie. Like, Can't help it. 
Well, you just yeah. fell into the trap and because it's fascinating stuff right now. But we it, it, and there's no fascinating stuff. But it's like the Celtics just beat the Raptors in the most exciting game two, the most Marcus Smart game two yeah. of this postseason. And we're looking back at the guy who just lit a match and set last season on fire but it's there and and when you mentioned the social media thing and that tweet going crazy that's another indication that that thing is still there and there hasn't been any closure that people would just take that and go crazy with it in their own way i mean that was literally that a little ember and turning it into some you know uh, five alarm fire when it really uh, again everyone can have their own interpretation of it i didn't think it was that big a deal but that thing still exists, but you're exactly right. No team, the Celtics have only won their first six playoff games once in the history of this franchise, and that was in 86, and have a chance to do something that no, very few teams have done, period, which is win the first seven playoff games. And dialing back, here's how ridiculously impressive this whole thing has been. I had another one that I, I wanted to get done in the middle of the night, which is because I had to figure out a way to take out that Washington, that Washington game messed everything up, right? That last game of that meaningless game. Yeah that season with, with Tremont Waters and whatever. So if you just look at playoff teams, counting Memphis as one, because who the heck knows what we're calling <laughs> playoff teams. The Celtics now in their last 10 games against playoff teams, playoff teams are 10 and 0 with a 14.2 scoring margin. And that is absurd. No matter how you play it, they're, they're the playing like the best team in the league right now. And this is an extraordinary thing happening in a month earlier before Simmons got hurt. I said, for the Celtics to get to the finals when it was clear that the Sixers were going to cough up that opportunity to move up to five when they lost the very first game in the bubble to Indiana, you knew it was going to happen. And I said to Max, I don't remember the last time an Eastern conference team has had a tougher road to the finals than the Celtics are going to have Philadelphia, Toronto, Milwaukee, presumably we'll see if Jimmy Butler has anything to say about that. And he actually, and I said, well, you got to go back to your era. And Max said, well, actually in our era, the first round was never that tough. You know, you weren't facing a Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons type team in the first round. You look back at those 80s teams, they had some, you know, some walkthroughs. They had some Joe Glass first round to to walk through. And the Celtics, in theory, weren't going to have that. So to, to be 6-0, and uh, starting against Philadelphia and Toronto, is, you know, take a moment. And again, the rueful part of it, imagine if this had been real life, which is a silly exercise, what game three would be like at the Garden. Going in there, you won won the first two games in. in they Toronto. weren't winning that game too. In right, exactly right, exactly right. Uh, but just you making the point. We talk about how amazing this is that the NBA has put this whole thing together, and that it is not only held together. A month ago, we're saying, "Moy, when is this thing going to fall apart?" And here it is, six weeks later. Not a single positive test. The games have been memorable. If not, whatever you call the Utah Denver thing, we'll remember it as just you know, <laughs> just a rock fight. If I've ever seen a basketball <laughs> mess, I mean, don't foul, no timeouts. That was just it was horrific and old school. And somewhere Jimmy O'Brien, I'm sure was was, that was the most outrageous ending to a preposterous series. I mean, so Jamal let Murray. You, let me let you know. I think you guys will love this the, the inside stuff because this story I don't think has ever been told publicly, and so why not? Oh, it's a Jimmy O'Brien one. Breaking news. Uh, you remember uh, 2002, this is my first year with the Celtics, you wanted rock fights. You got them every night, right, with the Jimmy O'Brien teams. Then you go into the playoffs against the Pistons, and the Celtics win the third game. They lose the first game in Detroit, win the second game. The third game, Jerry Stackhouse, I think, missed the buzzer, and the Celtics won 
it was like 70 to 68 or 65, <laughs> 63. It was some horrific thing. And allegedly, I was not there in the locker room when this happened, but the legend is that Paul Gaston, then the owner of the team, and his final year as the owner of the team, went back to the locker room and said something to Jimmy O'Brien like, man, that was ugly. And we knew that you never said that to Jimmy. And Jimmy just goes back to the owner of the team and said, hey, Paul, it's a W. <laughs> <laughs> um, Max got his head snapped off once, one of those Miami 2002 70-65 Miami games, and Max did the same thing. And, you know, Jimmy O'Brien was like, that was a thing of beauty to him when it was 70-65. to 65. <laughs> And they played the a lot time. of those games. Remember the, the Celtics, was it the Pistons series? When they just, it was like 67, That's 64 pretty regularly. Just fucking gross. But every game was like that. It, it was, it was, it was, it was basketball Antoine, was disgusting back then. Antoine and Paul shooting as many threes as they could possibly shoot and defending. And that was how you, and that's how you come back. That's why when you think about them coming back from 24, it happens every night now in the NBA, right? Somebody comes back from 20 down and they at least tie the game if they don't win it or take the lead. Back then to be down 21 in the fourth quarter when the games were like 68 to 59, when you're down 21 in the fourth quarter against the Nets, that's what made that such an extraordinary comeback because that was, you know, pounding out the shot clock and it was going down to one every time. I would contend that last night's game was not a, uh... Not the prettiest of games, at least until uh, Marcus Smart went on his absurd run to start the fourth quarter. And I'm just kind of thinking when you're talking about the Celtics, uh, the first team to, or since the 86 team to win six in a row, they didn't play their best game. Uh, I think it was game two against Philly. They kind of snuck by. And the more I thought about uh, game two against the Raptors, they had no business really winning that game with the number of turnovers they had. Um, is it something where it's like, I guess, special about the team and their will to win? Is it something just special about Marcus Smart's ability to kind of go insane in the fourth quarter? They did not play their best basketball last night, but they still walked out of that gym um, with a W and now a commanding 2-0 lead in the series. Well, this is a group now. I mean, this has been three years. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart were all on that team two years ago that won those ridiculous games, right, where they had – you know, I, I kind of fell in love with the win probability stat where there was, I think, 10, 11 games that year where they had less than a 10% chance of winning and they won that less than 10% last night. It was in the 90s when Toronto went up by 12. I just thought last night was more like what I expected in the series that a lot of these are going to be coin toss games. And history is funny that way with these series where you could beat a team in four or five games. But how close was the series? How close were the games? The best example of that was the Philly series two years ago where the Celtics had an easy win, the Sixers had an easy win, and those other three games, that could have been 4-1 Philly with a couple of plays here and there. But that's the difference is that this this team, this core group, has found ways to, you know, to sort of make plays. And invariably, you know, the Marcus Smart, I think I said it in real time last night, there will always be people that just can't stand Marcus Smart. I just think that that bandwagon has got to clear out by now. You just don't get it that nobody affects winning more. And he said he's Rondo had a little bit of this too. Like he can't make a shot until it matters. And then suddenly he can't miss. But I, I think there've been many Marcus smart type games, but even the games, I, there was another tweet about this, even all these two for 18 games he has that staff from the Philly game. I looked it up because that, that was sort of muscle memory. I remember games he had like that. I think there was four or five times in his career. He had scored, five points or fewer playing 34 minutes or whatever it was. And he was combined two for 28 in those games. And of course, what's the common theme? He was a plus 
in all of the games, and the Celtics won all of those games. And that's not a coincidence. And I think the scariest part to me was, you know, we had Marcus going crazy. We go into the fourth quarter last night, and I said to Max, you're Toronto, and you're up five or six points, and Kemba hasn't made a shot yet? This is not a good spot for Toronto to be in. And, you know, I thought they really impacted the game. They turned that game in the second and third quarter to the way they play and the way what they want to do. And so it's really disheartening to have a stranglehold on a game like that and be playing your way and, and not win. But obviously Van Vliet and Siakam and Lowry are going to shoot 25%. This is, they're not going to be successful in their title defense. I thought Lowry was so funny. His reaction, like, yeah, Marcus Smart hit five threes. Ha 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 ha. Just, yeah. just chuckling about it. It's like, yeah, that that's not ever going to happen probably again until next postseason when he will inevitably do the, or it happens tomorrow. <laughs> like, that's the beauty oh, no. of Marcus. Oh, no. There, there's always a long stretch between those games. Usually. I mean, he usually stays high. You know the deal with him. It's like. That is true. He'll he have has, months. He has, not right, three weeks where he can't make a shot. Then there's about a week and a half. The practice after the snowstorm a few years ago. The, he gets in these little pockets of runs. But that, that how Marcus is that to make five threes in the entire Philadelphia series? And he's made, what, 11 in the first two games of this one. There's no rhyme or reason to it other than you just feel better when he's on the floor. Even if your Pavlovian basketball instincts still cringe sometimes when he launches a shot, you know, in your heart of hearts, the Celtics are better off when he is on the floor period. And I'll never understand for the life of me, how more teams, most notably Indiana did not make a run at him. Uh, You know, when there was the, the free agency discussion where I can't, I can't for the life of me understand that. If you look at these contracts, you look at what you have Marcus smart for. Yeah. And by the way, Zach Levine got a lot more money. But nobody, not nobody, because certainly people are. Jalen Brown, what he's doing to Siakam here is phenomenal in these first couple of games. He's already he played like an offensive all-star in the first round. And people just forget it's it's almost like he is destined until you go off the court into the real world. It's almost like Jalen Brown is almost destined to be categorized as Robin with Jason Tatum on the floor when he is, if you're ranking Jason Tatum ahead of him, it's a paper thin margin. between. I disagree there. I disagree there. I I think that margin's pretty big. I don't. And well, only because Tatum has been so good defensively, obviously Tatum has an offensive level that Jalen Brown doesn't have, but uh, I mean, to me, what's what's your gap between Kawhi and Paul George? Well, here's the thing. Tatum is the center of everything. Tatum is making the plays happen where Jalen makes his offense off other guys. And he's really good at it. He's become a great shooter. He's he's become a high volume shooter. He's gotten much better with patience going to the rim, but he plays off the other guys. Whereas Tatum just makes everything happen for everybody. And especially now that he's becoming a better passer, I think he's the, that comparison to me isn't fair. Well, the ceiling is ridiculous, obviously, with Tatum, and that we know. I guess what it is is we've been talking a lot about this weird thing about this year's team and that Kemba had the great start, and that got him the all-star team. Uh, Tatum, or Gordon Hayward, he was on his way to having an all-star year, and then he got hurt, and obviously he had missed too many games, so even if he was playing at an all-star level, he wasn't going to get that spot on the team. Tatum, this season will be remembered for him taking the superstar turn the national TV games, right? The Clipper games against the Lakers, big spotlight games in which he was great. But the, the dirty little secret 
is first of all, how good he was defensively in the first half of the year, but offensively, first 15, 20, 25 games. Jason Tatum was still Dog shit. recovering his well, that's a that's a again, <laughs> your 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 poetry and your selection of words. Obviously, I can't compare to mine, but again, that, that is one way to describe it. Because he was deprogramming from last year. And there are there were moments you could literally see him thinking on the court, wait a minute, I don't want to be here, I want to be here. So that's sort of forgotten. And yet he he went so crazy in January and February, that was enough for him to make the all-star team. Kemba dropped off. Said Gordon Hayward was hurt. Jason Tatum was really shaky at the start of the year offensively. And Jalen Brown's been the most consistent Celtic throughout the course of the year. And he's the one who didn't make the all-star team. But as Brad points out, and he's right, one of the great things about this year was Tatum made the all-star team and got better. Jalen Brown was left off the all-star team and got better. I mean, I just think it's a moment. You better appreciate this moment right now. Up 2-0 and winning six straight playoff games. I have no idea what's coming, but this is – this is real. This is really happening right now. And the Celtics are in the conversation and the Clippers and the Lakers and the Bucks are still elite NBA teams. And one of them is probably likely to win the championship. But if you're telling me that those three teams could dominate the Celtics in a seven game series, uh, I'm not sure that we're talking about dominance right now. The Celtics are going to be a very tough out and Toronto could win four games that were played like last night in a row. So we're talking about how close these games are. I still don't think there's a huge margin, but um, we'll see where the psychology of being in the bubble weighs in. Remember the Raptors, they were there longer. Um, you know, guys want to want to get out of there at some point. Can the Raptors come back and win four in a row? I mean, I've really been looking at their half-court offense, and they're relying a lot on Pascal Siakam post-ups, and it just doesn't seem to be working a lot because of what Jalen Brown's doing on the defensive end. But they just – if they're not forcing turnovers and not like, I guess, playing the aggressive zone and kind of messing up the Celtics and playing at their pace, I just don't see how they get the consistent scoring to but they match do do the that. Like they muck up everything. They did a good job of that in, in the first, I guess, three quarters of that. But if the Celtics yeah. make a bucket, if the Celtics can get, uh, just make them be a half court team. I know it's a easier task said than done, but I just don't see what, I don't even get what the Raptors are trying to do on offense. It, it doesn't seem like they have any concept of like what the what the goal is. Well, and they're they're running into an elite defensive team with long defenders, and there aren't a lot of teams that can defend the way the Celtics can with their with their personnel. But again, the shot making cleans up an awful lot of stuff, and it took an epic performance. We're, we're like you can close your eyes and think about the Kelly Olynyk game right against Washington. You know when that was happening. What a game! That was going to be a game, right? That you that was going to be the Kelly Olynyk game. Marcus Smart didn't just make a crazy three; he made five of them in a row, including a four-point play. If he misses one of those ridiculous shots, Toronto probably wins Game Two, and we're having a completely different conversation today. So, I think uh, to me, Brad, this is where you know Brad gets cranky after a game like Game One, right? Now this is more in his wheelhouse where he can come out and say, "Listen, we." We miss a couple of shots here and they beat us and they're they're great and they're the greatest team that's ever played. And we're, the only place he loses credibility is that when he talks up Toronto, he's right. But, you know, he'd be doing the same thing if you were playing Washington. Right when now. he kept saying that the Philadelphia 76ers had the best offense without Ben Simmons, it was like, just stop, Brad. We, we know you have no respect for the 76ers if you keep hyping up their bum ass offense. Um, yeah, he's doing what he again. There's that human nature element. He. Listen, he's a highly intelligent guy. He knows what's happening now. He knows 
I'll say it out loud if nobody else will. The Celtics are playing like a world championship team right now. They're playing at that level. They're playing as look around at the other teams that are still alive. There's eight other teams, right? Still they're playing alive. the best of anyone tonight, and they're playing better than everybody. Doesn't mean they will continue to, but you have to know that this crazy fantasy pipe dream is in the realm of possibility now. And so he knows it. And I think that's only going to be, that only makes him want to, you know, tighten the reins a little bit more. And I think to have a game like last night where you literally could say, we were really lucky to win that game. That's when he is right at his happiest. Someone from the Celtics organization told me early, early this year, like Brad really thinks he can win with these guys. Yeah. And he said, I, I think this might be like the other, I mean, last year they had a lot of talent, but this is, one of the first times when he really, really thought he could win-win, and I was I'm like, surprised. Hey. I was like, you yeah, would even- tone it down a little bit. Like it was, it was early still, and I, I, Tatum hadn't emerged like he has, and I, I didn't, I didn't see it at the time. But now, as things have progressed, it's like, you know what? This team is really, really tough. Sean, I, I've got a question for you about Kemba. How high does he rank for you on the good teammate list since you've been? Doing play-by-play for the Celtics. I think you're trying to ask a Kyrie question there. I think you're trying to go back to or trying to get something started. No, 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 no. Because I I, I think he's genuinely one of the better teammates, especially for his stature that you could dream of. And what about just one of your – you have to – this would have to be a favorite thing if you're a Celtic fan. How about Cantor last night? being the first one to tweet, yeah, man, I love this team so much. God, I love this team. When here's a guy who's gotten to, as Max would say, Detroit National Parks. Uh, the last, you know, the last two games, right? Two DNPs, and he's not playing, and he's the first one. I mean, granted, you without having to take a shower, you can be the first one on social media, I guess, to say that. But still, that's a really cool thing. Kemba, from day number one, you just could not knock the smile off this guy's face. Just so genuinely happy. And Celtic fans remember him going for 43 and beating the Celtics in those games. But that's because Celtic fans weren't seeing the nights he was going for 38 and losing and losing, and losing. And this dude won seven games as a rookie. That might have been the worst team in NBA history if they had played a full season that lockout year. They were 7-59 and in Charlotte's rookie year, and he comes to Boston, and he goes on a 10-game win streak after opening night. So he's just been so happy. And here's the the Andre Iguodala thing. I talked about the last couple years with Golden State. And one of the many problems, you can put everything on Kyrie if you want, but the orange vanilla Coke Celtics, of 2019 had more problems than Kyrie. Uh, Many more problems. And one of them was the fact that to win in this league, you need your star players, obviously. But the guys, I'm not saying ancillary players, end of the bench, but five, six, seven on your roster, those have got to be veteran guys. You have to have on your roster the veteran guys who've already made their money, made their all-star teams, and now they want to win. And what the Celtics were trying to do the last couple of years, you had Al Horford and Gordon Hayward and Kyrie as your big three. And the other guys, not off the bench, but four, five, six, seven, you had Tatum and Brown and Rozier. And you had young guys who hadn't found their place in the league yet. They hadn't made their money yet. They hadn't made their all-star teams yet. Whereas Golden State, who did they have in those spots? They had Iguodala, Sean Livingston, Zaza Pachulia. Guys who've been there and they just wanted to win. And you're starting to see, you know, some reversal of the roster where now Kemba and Gordon Hayward, too. If it's Tatum's night, if it's Jalen Brown's night, they're good. They're good. Kemba's had his 38-point games and lose. 
he's done with that. <laughs> he's good with it. But I think that's that's human nature. And that's not a knock on Rozier and Tatum and Brown and trying to find that. That's human nature. Find your place in a league. But I always found that sort of reversal of if that's how you build a championship team is, you know, James Posey, Eddie House model. I have a, a very weird comparison for Kemba Walker. That's not about play style, but just about the way he kind of approaches the game right now. It reminds me of Tony Parker when he was with the Spurs. And, and Tony Parker was like, he was capable of so much more than he did. And he could have, he could have, you know, scored 25 points a game. He could have piled up a ton of assists. He could have been one of the premier statistical guards in the NBA, but he was cool with setting the table for everybody else. He was cool with picking his spots. And Kemba, to me, has approached the game that way. And it, it's it's helped everyone flourish. It, it it really has. And, like, he really doesn't waver at all. But if, if he doesn't give a shit, if he goes – 0 for 10, if, if they win, that's all that matters. I, I give a fun comparison, too, and it's not a Kemba thing. It was just something that came up last night. One of these weird things that you think about all the time is that uh, with the famous moment in the NBA was when David Robinson was MVP, and they decided to give him the award on a night Akeem Olajuwon was on the other side. Now, this doesn't work with coaches, but isn't it funny that here's Brad Stevens coaching against the coach of the year on yes, the other side. The coach that he voted oh. for coach of the year, too. And for all the love Brad Stevens has gotten nationally and the articles written about him, uh, I think it would be fair to say in the coach of the year voting, generally speaking, Brad has not done as well as certainly Celtic fans thought he probably should have done in all these years. And I get it last year, you know, put some tarnish on everybody. But even the, the years before that, he never really got close to winning when he got these teams without guys all the way to the conference finals and you know, was finishing first. That one team was at 17 where they finished first in the Eastern conference, which was pretty absurd. It wasn't, it was like the lowest scoring margin ever to lead the conference, but still they, they brought him in first. And yet here it is, Nick nurse on the other side and he's great. But I, I think it really struck me watching these first two games of the series. Max has been pretty critical, you know, of Nick nurse and X's and O's and he's getting his tail handed to him here in these first two games. And then to see Nick nurse come apart a little bit, even if you think it, I, I, I see you nodding over there. You know what I'm going to say? When you start talking about the officials and free throws and stuff like that, you're either doing it in the Zen master Phil Jackson way to try to get the officials on your side, or you're just genuinely frustrated. You don't have anything else to point to, but the free throws, free throws are even in this series. And uh, listen, calls are going to happen this way and that way. I think for the most part, it's been fine. I thought the technical on Tatum last night, I was Here's an example. Nick Nurse complains about the free throws without really citing anything specific. Tatum, who I thought had a legitimate beef as far as that technical, what'd he say after the game? He comes out, it's like, yep, that was fine. You know, I deserve that technical. According to the letter of the law, if you make any sort of gesture, if you're walking away, the term they use in the NBA, and this is what we talked about last night, is if the situation dissolves. If an official makes a call against you and you give what Tatum did and you give him that like in his face, that's technical. You're teed up. But he was walking away from that. The, I don't know if it was Zarba or uh, who made that call last night. He walked away to the other side. And it was the back official who saw him do it and teed him up. And it was, a, you know, it was the final minute of a one-possession playoff game. I remember thinking, that's a little bit harsh. And look at the reaction after the game. Jason Tatum said at 22 years old, yep, I shouldn't have done it. I deserved it, even if he really didn't. 
And I, I, it was striking to me, Nick Nurse kind of talking about the free throws and when there were other things, to, particularly when his team played well. And I thought Tatum earned them. Like there, there was one iffy tripping call on Pascal Siakam that I thought was like, eh, maybe. Yeah. But most for the most part, he earned those free throws. They they weren't yeah. very questionable. And the call again, the call the call against him, the push off wasn't the problem. I had no problem with the call. The call was right. But you know, I think my personal theory is that Sean Corbin was a little ticked when he walked over to the uh, the movie theater window. You know, when he was buying his movie tickets before and looked at the replay of the of Marcus Smart kind of doing him wrong on that, you know, the flop, the crazy flop, the, the WWE, let me hit this guy and then go flying backwards, trying to draw the foul on Siakam in that fast break. And I think he was ticked uh, still at that from earlier in the game. But yeah, it was, um, it's been interesting to watch. That was an epic flop, wasn't that it? Was, um, that was, uh, that's in the Marcus Hall of Fame right there too. Corver is still number one. The the one where he yeah nobody touched him. Yeah, almost hurt himself flopping. That was incredible. The other uh, thing about Nick Nurse is complaining about Marcus Smart stripping Siakam, where he almost did the amazing play and save. But if you look back at that, that was all ball. And it's just yeah. you talked about the comparison of Nurse and Tatum and. Tatum does not have the greatest on-court demeanor in terms of talking to the referees. He seems oh, to think no. he gets a worse whistle than Daniel Tice. But um, in the, I was kind of struck post-game, and it, it feels like um, Tatum and I think to an extent Kemba have taken on the the kind of personality of Brad Stevens, at least in their interactions with the media, and like kind of can't get too high, can't get too low. Um, and I was kind of curious about you kind of were comparing Brad Stevens and Nick Nurse and kind of coach of the year voting um, and we were talking about Kemba really not caring about individual awards and wanting to win. I would assume Brad Stevens is in that vein. Um, and Brad Stevens does everything he can to sh- say that he has no ego. He does not like any sort of uh, attention. Do you think like an award like that or coach of the year voting is something that fuels Brad? And um, would he ever admit that uh, if it was true? Uh, the second answer is definitely no, but I think the first answer is probably no too. I, I, I genuinely don't think he cares. Um, we, we joke about it sometimes. One of my favorite things in the world is when a Celtics coach, whether it had been Doc before him or Brad, when he wins coach of the month. <laughs> that might be, uh, of all the amazing things we do in the NBA, that might be near the top of the list of the dumbest things we do, which is coach of the Raise month. Raise a banner. That, that's an automatic. I mean, because I know, because my job is to fill seven or eight minutes, right, with Brad every night. So I know I've got a minute of, hey, congratulations on being coach of the month what were you doing wrong last month that you were able to fix and improve upon so you could coach better um, this month? You know, the absurdity of that. I don't, I don't think he has, listen, this is the real guy. Listen, he's intensely, insanely competitive and you won't see that because he has taught himself this Vulcan mind meld poker face thing where Jeff Green for the first day, when Jeff Green hit that winner in Miami, uh, to get them to four and four or whatever it was. That, that I wasn't prepared year. for a reference to that play. Right. Well, what a what an inbounds pass from Gerald Wallace. From Gerald Wallace, cross court, he hits the three. And Brad, uh, if he blinked, you'd have to subruder from the thing to see if he actually blinked when it happened. And it made me think because, first of all, it's my job to think ahead as to what might happen. But first of all, if you're a Celtic fan, why aren't you thinking about Kevin Garnett right now and anything being possible with the way they're playing? But it really did make me flash forward a little bit, like five, six weeks from now. What if, right? I mean, what would the reaction be 
if a, a game winner wins the NBA championship, are you going to get the same non-reaction out of Brad? What would his reaction have been if Gordon Hayward hit that shot against Duke? Well, do, do you remember it was one of the Butler runs when he went into the locker room and yeah. just did the high-flying Maybe chest that's bump. why he'll never do it again because he knows that video <laughs> lives forever. No, this is, this is really who – listen, I said he's a crazy competitor, but he has found a way to not – demonstrate it and he, he he feels that you you as the coach you give your cue to the rest of the team and this is the way he feels it's better to not have these crazy highs and and lows and that's that's who he is he's always been very i think protective and concerned about articles about him and brad stevens the coaching genius and whatever because he knew from the beginning coming in here that that's not how you win over nba players is having the spotlight on you so he's done everything he can and i get it to to thrust it away from himself. Um, And I I would say this too, and it's worth thinking about today because nobody wants to, in this world that we're living in right now, we're all going through an extraordinary time. People are making sacrifices, including with their health to serve the public and whatever. So nothing compares in that regard, but there is nothing. Brad Stevens loves basketball, but I can assure you beyond any shadow of a doubt that he loves his wife and kids more. And what's not getting any attention here is that the players are allowed to have family join them in the bubble, but the coaches are not. And so here is Brad Stevens now coming up on two months without his wife and kids. And that will, I I can speak to this. Um, When when I have to be away from my son, it is difficult. And to do it for two months straight, you know, people have asked me about, boy, it must be tough for you and Max. I'm like, really? That's that's the the hardship, trying to call games off. The, yes, our job has been a little bit compromised. But I've been able to be – I've had full time with my son the last couple of months because we're not traveling. And so that's been a, a benefit of this. You know, you can't really do the job properly this way, as, we, as Jay, as you and I talked about. But that's a life benefit. Meanwhile, I, I think about Brad every day. And, and Tracy and, and Kinsley and Brady. And it's very difficult to perform at the level you have to perform down there and not be around the people you love. They're just, you know, they are your life. If they do win a championship, can we declare that it was his family holding him back all along? Yes. I, I can assure you that'll be almost my first question in the next year. I'll probably, I'll probably text Tracy that immediately, uh, you know, after it happens. And, you know, here's the other thing. If the Celtics or whoever wins the championship, what if next year is a bubble year? You know, you don't get that. Do you wait till the following year to celebrate the championship? You have the Kevin Garnett number retirement. I think we're all of the hope. It's all going to be about fans and trying to get fans back in the building. We're all of the hope that the second half maybe of next year that fans are going to be allowed back. It's all about the vaccine. It's all about, you know, the health choices, treatment, things like that. But uh, it's not going to be too long before that is going to be front and center as to the kind of things we're going to have to start thinking about because this, it will be, we're only in the second round and it's September. So the NBA finals are over second week of October. It's going to be time to think about that pretty quick. True. Another thing that's impressing me about Brad is you mentioned him not being able to connect with his family, but he's also like kind of the manager of the entire kind of selfish organization down there in the bubble. So not only does he have to coach basketball games and deal with his own kind of distance from his family, but he's managing and kind of 
uh, I guess being somewhat of a psychologist to uh, a team that's majority young black men in a time of, I guess, a lot of racial strife and a, a push for social justice and his, I think, willingness to, I remember his uh, kind of longer interview with you, you Sean, like earlier in the bubble about um, kind of what it meant to go back and then kind of just being able to manage um, and manage is probably the wrong word uh, here, but is a lot of going into that and him being the sole figurehead uh, of the organization down in the bubble. I don't know what other executives are there, but I've just been kind of impressed with his um, demeanor and his uh, kind of amplification of the players' messages and kind of his support of them um, during this time where you mentioned he's just like, he's also probably struggling because he's not with his family. And so just as in terms of being a leader of the team through basketball wise, and in terms of also off the court has been impressive from my perspective. Priorities. You know, I think you can tell, I think we've all become far more attuned the last couple of years to the empathy to people who are narcissists and don't care about other people. And you can tell who the people who genuinely care, you know, and genuinely don't. And I think Brad Stevens and a lot of the coaches in the league who look like they do and who look like I look like we do have try to say, what can we do in our role? What, you know, we become, instead of people who speak, we're soldiers now. Like, you tell us what to do. And I think, yeah, Brad's been there for them, and they know that, but you also have an extraordinary locker room full of exemplary young men in this time. And it's been a, a real a privilege to see the world, seeing Jalen Brown, what – those of us who've been around him for four years already knew that whatever he does, however many all-star teams he makes and however much money he makes, makes all-star teams, whatever wins championships, it will be nothing compared to what he accomplishes off the court when it's, when it's all done. And I have a, I have a theory on that too. Um, I think it's been big for the Jalen Jason dynamic because Tatum has always taken away shine from Jalen. He's always had more headlines. Even the playoff run a couple of years ago, Jalen was unbelievable as a super young kid. And Jason was just a little bit better. And then, so it's now Tatum was an all-star Jalen wasn't quite there. So it's always been like that, but, and that, that could get annoying. That could get really annoying. Number one, I, I don't think Jalen totally cares because he is about the team and about the right stuff. But also I think, having the kind of creating the lane that he has for himself as the leader, one of the NBA's leaders in the social justice movement is like, that gives him his own niche. And so he doesn't have to care as much about the basketball headlines because he's doing more important stuff in his mind. And Tatum Tatum has followed him. Yeah. It's pushed pushed Tatum to be way more vocal than anyone ever expected. Yeah. And, I, but I, but I, I think I think that actually like helps him deal with the lack of basketball attention he gets considering his skill level at his age um, and his production level at his age because he does have like he's leading a far more important cause than anything he'll do on the basketball court. And again, that's sort of against human nature. I came into the league. My first year in the league was with was in ninety eight ninety nine with Minnesota, and I walked into a situation with Stephon Marbury, who got. Another true leader of men. I was a super superstar, but he was always going to be Robin there with Kevin Garnett. And the thing that could not 
And and Kevin Garnett, ironically, of course, didn't want to be that. He Kevin Garnett would have been thrilled to be Robin. What we said about yeah. Kevin Garnett for years, what Billy Joel always said about himself, his dream was to play backup in somebody else's band, but he was too good, right? Kevin Garnett, greatest role player ever, right? A Hall of Fame role player, but he was going to be the super superstar, and the rules had just changed with the money and the contracts. So literally, the Timberwolves, as an organization, we were offering Steph the maximum amount of money, every dollar he could be offered, he, but he couldn't live with the fact that he'd always be the second highest paid guy because of the Kevin Garnett. It's always, I always found it funny to talk about a 21 year old being grandfathered, but he had been <laughs> grandfathered into the previous deal. So you could not pay him. You paid him the max amount of money. Marbury, it still wasn't going to be what Kevin Garnett was making and he couldn't deal with it and contrast that. And that's again, a, probably a more normal 21, 22 year old. And Steph was fascinating because imagine being 12 years old and getting every single thing you wanted and being treated like a God, which he was from the time he was 12 years old. He couldn't fathom it, you know, being the number two guy or whatever on a team and contrast that with, with Jalen Brown, who again, maybe that's why going back to our conversation earlier, we kind of talk up Jalen a lot basketball wise, because he won't get that appreciation and that, and that love. But all this stuff is adding up to, Talking about, man, Gordon Hayward does this, and people aren't talking about it. And Kemba is happy to, but this is the reason the Celtics are right now a half step ahead of everybody else in basketball. It doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. It doesn't mean they're going to win the championship, but you're literally, the Boston Celtics are literally halfway to the finals right now. They're halfway to the finals. That's insane without a loss. That's, that's the perfect place to end it. You, classic play by play move right there. Just, just ending the podcast on your own. You knew exactly where to slam the exclamation point. Not my, not my first day. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. not your last. Hopefully, we'll have you back you here know. on anything is possible. Yeah, you never like I said these days when you literally have to do a temperature check to go to work. You never know when you're uh, when you're going to be uh, admitted. And as I said, as you know, Jay, because you came down into the into our secret magic bubble with there's all these security things and elevators and stairs and secret passageways. And yet Max still finding a way to get pizza delivered. <laughs> so that's part of the whole, the whole deal. I love that. Classic. Classic. Max, Max needs that food. We appreciate you coming on, man. This, this has been great. We always appreciate your time. Um, to those listening to the anything is Potable podcast. I'm stealing Jam Packard's role. I'm I'm closing this thing. I'm taking it home. <laughs> Listen to us every day. We'll be here every day throughout the playoff run, Monday through Friday, after games, live post game show on Periscope. We'll be here too. iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you listen to your podcast. We appreciate you. Subscribe, give us five stars, and go follow Grandy on Twitter if you don't already. At what is it, Sean Grandy PBP? Yes. And listen to the radio broadcast once in a while, you assholes. <laughs> that's, that's how you end the show, just calling all our listeners assholes. I love them. I love Your you guys. popularity just grows and grows. You know how to win people over. They know I love them. Well, you're supposed to do the real ending, which is thank you guys for listening to this episode of Anything is Potable. You just couldn't let me fucking do it, huh? No, you were doing it so poorly. <laughs> <laughs>